Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, following Everton stumbling over the finish line to conclude the 2021-22 season, losing 5-1 to Arsenal at the Emirates. Tough way to end the season, but ultimately the match was meaningless, and so, frankly, we don't care too much. And instead of dissecting that match, which was, again, pointless, we decided to look a little bit on the brighter side, and we did a Twitter space where we interacted and had a few people come on to talk all things this season, tried to take a more forward-looking view into what Thelwell might do in the summer, which we'll do a deep dive on in our typical squad assessment that will be coming in the next few weeks. We appreciate you all tuning in. Apologies for any audio issues along the way. It's unfortunately kind of a byproduct of the Twitter space format, but we'll continue to work to improve. And if you notice anything unusual, feel free to reach out and let us know. Otherwise, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. That helps us out so very much, and we appreciate it. If you want to find links to all of our social media, you can do that in the description or go to linktr.ee slash usatoffeepod. That's L-I-N-K-T-R.ee slash usatoffeepod. Thank you so much for listening, and up the toffees. source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Hello. There yeah, my is. bad. I, uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to grind some beans, get a cup, cup of coffee going before uh, we get started. My bad. No, totally fair. I had a, I had a little Americano made this morning with some, you know, espresso. We got an espresso maker recently, which I've been using very, very often, and then had a little Bloody Mary. Unfortunately, I couldn't change the color, but had a little Bloody Mary action watching the match. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, nice. all in all, you know, for a 5-1 defeat, I don't know, Alex, I mean, we might as well lead with just sort of talking about this match, which was, I don't know what you were expecting going in, but given the drama and the expenditure of effort from the Palace match just a few days before, I my expectations were very low, and I still think they were maybe not quite met, but 5-1 on the final day, you know, conceding five goals on the final day is becoming a bit of a tradition, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh... It was pretty much garbage. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure what to make of the lineup at first. <clears throat> I mean, it clearly looked like a back five, but, you know, the midfield two, I think, were kind of surprising to me. Although it was good to see Tom Davies back into the mix for the final game. Um, I thought it was actually wild that Ducore got pulled in like the 33rd minute or so. Um, although maybe warranted. And I thought, you know, Van de Beek obviously popped up. But, I mean, we just looked you know, we had three center backs and we looked terrible in the air. We looked terrible defending the box. Um, you know, set pieces were a problem. I think I'm in the same camp, right? Like I didn't, I didn't really care if we won or lost. I didn't think we were going to win just because, you know, Arsenal had a lot to play for in theory, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. I think some, some players may have maybe, uh, kind of gave Lampard some things to think about, uh, going into the summer, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, thinking about it, going into the match, there's very little at stake for Everton and, and Arsenal had in theory something to play for, except Spurs went two 0 up on Norwich pretty much immediately. I think that it was almost in sync the way they scored the goals. And so by halftime it was kind of dead rubber for both teams and yet we still 
kind of capitulated in that second half. Um, look, when you make six changes to a team, it's kind of expected to see some disruption. Tom Davies hasn't played, even t- seen the pitch since November. He's coming in cold. You've got Deli Ali, who obviously had the incredibly influential second half performance against Palace, but getting his start, we had Branthwaite back. You know, the one thing about Jared Branthwaite, I guess I'll say today, is he got caught in a couple similar situations in which he got to when he got sent off just a couple matches ago, and I thought he handled those quite professionally, i.e. not fouling and giving away a free kicking and getting sent off. Uh, I thought he actually defended in moments fairly decently, but as a collective Everton, you don't concede five goals against an Arsenal team who kind of stumbled to the finish line without being really poor. And, and the set-piece defending, look, it is what it is, right? It's the last game of the season, but it never feels good to just sort of gift them goals when they didn't really look like creating a too too much from open play. It felt like a little bit of charity on our part. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and, and past like the lineup selection, right? I mean, really, I know we're not going to get like super deep into tactics and whatnot, but I, I was kind of disturbed. And I think the uh, CNBC commentators, although they were literally a nightmare to listen to, might I add, um, you know, they pointed out how, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was essentially in our defensive third at the top of our defensive third a lot of the match um you know how how do you expect us to like you know become you know unpinned if you can't even get out outside of your defensive third or pass the ball up right then just like nonchalantly trying to rely on his pace in behind where then you know you've got like Delhi Ali not the fastest guy ever trying to sprint in behind for support which is not going to happen and you know, Gray is miles away. I'm not. I'm not necessarily sure how uh, how Lampard saw that that working out for us. I mean, I understand like the pragmatic approach, but I think you got to find a balance. I mean, he wasn't found. Yeah, sorry, you can finish that. No, that was it. I mean, looking just. I'm just looking at the stats on who scored right now. And in the first half, <laughs> just was not pretty. Seventeen to three in the first half for Arsenal in shots. 76-23 in possession. Eighty-eight percent passing to sixty. We won 10 aerials to their two. We won nine tackles to their seven. They had seven corners. It really doesn't get a whole lot better in the second half. 26 to six in shots, nine on target to two. I mean, just we're just the by far the second best team on the pitch today. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts. And I know I think a lot of people, you know, I, I've been so frustrated with this team at various times this season, and I, I was just watching this and kind of shrugging my shoulders. And, you know, my girlfriend was watching with me, and she was like, she was getting so, she was getting mad. She's like, I don't want to see Everton get killed. I don't want to watch them play, play like this. And I was like, I've watched us suck when it mattered for so much of the season that watching this team suck when it, there's nothing on the line actually feels okay. It's, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's an improvement if, if, only slight, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. I know exactly what you mean. And then, you know, we saw we saw during the match, like especially in the second half, literally as we were capitulating, you know, City goes insane and scores those three goals in like six minutes. And I think that's uh, that's like the peak feeling of today, isn't it? <laughs> Had nothing to do with Everton at all. Yeah, and it was getting scary because it was. And again, anyone who wants to come on, I know we have a, a couple of people waiting to come on stage. Steve, we'll get you up here in just a moment. And anyone else who wants to come on and speak again on the match today, on Everton season, on any of the other matches, it was shaping up just like the perfect script for Liverpool to score in the 85th plus minute, be awarded a dodgy pen of some sort, and score and. City stumbled to the finish line. They choked just like they did in the Champions League. And then 
they just decide to turn on a dime and play brilliantly and score, like you said, three goals in six minutes. And right after that, Liverpool scored twice, all for naught. Didn't matter. So in terms of results today, you know, besides the win, I feel like we don't have a great deal to complain about. You know, the fans, the away fans in the end, away end at the Emirates were still singing the whole time. I don't know. It just feels like a very relaxed relaxed feeling for for me personally at least and and you know what's funny though right so so we know we avoided relegation officially on thursday but we haven't even talked about the two teams that were still in contention for relegation today obviously burnley ended up getting officially relegated you know my personal uh feeling about it is quite happy i like to see Leeds uh stay in the league how are you feeling about burnley going down good good riddance they deserved it for sacking sean dyche in my opinion they had that brief kind of flash in the pan where they looked really good, ran off a couple of results, but ultimately fell flat. And good for Leeds. Happy to see Jesse Marsh keep them up, even though their fan base can be a tad horrible. Burnley, they sacked the man who had done so much for their club and kept them in the Premier League for so long, and now they're going to have to sort of go down and, and figure things out from here on out. I was going into today, would have certainly have preferred to see Burnley go down. It's what happened. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty content all around, Alex. What happened at the top of the table? What happened at the very bottom? And then us just sitting where we sit in safety, which is all that I've ever cared about for the last three months or so. Right. And, and last, just a fun fact before we start getting everybody up on stage. I, I saw it was reported. Um, it was reported that Jesse Marsh wants to bring Brendan Aronson to Leeds now that it was confirmed they won't be relegated. So ideally, we will have another American player in the Premier League soon, too. Good stuff there. All right, let's uh, let's get the ball rolling and get some people on stage. Yeah, I can hear you, Steve. Yeah, I just think um, we're talking about analysing the game today. We're analysing the game where the guys were pretty much on the piss on Friday, um, and we've saved ourselves. And today is just a, a dead rubber, as far as I'm concerned. Just get the season finished. You hear a lot of talk about Frank, Lob, Frank Lampard not being that great because he's only scored 1.1 points per game or whatever it is. But there's a lot of intricate details within everything that's gone on at the end of the season about what's happened with Rafa, the fitness of the players, the really like mind-numbing decisions that have gone against us. We've gone against absolutely everything to stay up. Um, I think we just need to not analyse today. It's 5-1. I don't care about that. One iota. And I think we need to change the narrative and call this the week of the 3-2 scoreline because that's what's changed my week entirely. And I'm going to go to bed tonight a very happy man. I'm right there alongside you, Steve. I think the three-day turnaround, excuse me, to Championship Sunday, this was always going to be meaningless. I'm still buzzing from that result. On Thursday it was unbelievable. Uh, I've never really reacted to a, to a goal like I did to Dominic Calvert-Lewin's goal. I think my neighbors probably thought something really good or really terrible had happened. There were just screams and screams. I guess, Steve, I, I'd pose the question to you since you're kind of touching on the subject. We don't have to talk about specifically the match today, but maybe just general positives that we can take away to looking forward to you know the summer and even next season, do you have any players that you're encouraged by that you'd like to kind of see continue? Any thing, any aspects of Frank Lampard's tenure, um, or even I think the one of the big ones is just the the degree to which the fan base has become united over the last few months. I think there's a number of them. The big, the biggest one is the fan base being united at the end, and 
the Everton board have got to see that and they've got to see that the way forward is working together. And I know that they're working on that and some people aren't happy the way they're going about it. But, you know, unifying the fan base is so important for a club like Everton. I think the other things that you look at that is a huge plus as well is, and I'll give one example of this, Alex Awobi, the sign of a good coach. And when I say this, I'm talking about his probably his coaching team, not just Frank Lampard, is uh, bringing the best out of people. Now, I don't, I don't know anyone that's had a turnaround like him. I remember seeing Nick Barnby for a couple of seasons at Everton. It was absolute garbage. And then all of a sudden became brilliant. And, you know, but Alex Awobi has gone from being absolutely dire to playing like the man of the match, probably in a number of games towards the end of the season. And I think that's a huge thing that Frank Lampard brings and the, the you know, the, the relaxation of the players. There's, there's another couple of things that we've, we've obviously got to change the fitness of the players. I mean, it, it can't just be luck that we have so many bad injuries. I don't know any club ever in the whole history of football that's had two players going off injured you know in in a warm up and we've had that in the last the last few weeks um i also like the fact that frank lampard likes to bring in young players i know we we're getting linked to some of the like the youth from chelsea um if he brings them in they're going to believe his ethos and how he wants to play and i think there's a there's a lot of positives i think there are some things around Frank Lampard's tactics that are maybe not a concern, but something that he need maybe needs to improve on. But I think he, with Paul Clemens and if it's Anthony Barry that's meant to be coming from from Chelsea, I think these things will get shored up. I think there's a lot to be um, confident about. And if you think about things as well, like the biggest problem we've got, I know everyone goes on about Kenwright, but the biggest problem we've got is Mashiri. And I know that from uh, someone who used to work at the club at a very high level, um, and they had issues because Mashiri was doing things behind the scene without him knowing, and he was like, "What?" Well, he was one of the directors, and and there's nothing he could do about that. Mashiri's got to learn from experience now that he leaves if he leaves the club to run itself and provides the money, it'll go better than if he gets himself embroiled in the decisions and the football making uh, the football making decisions. He shouldn't be anywhere near those side of things. Just provide the money. Put the right people in place, and we'll be all right. Yeah, it's a good point. I actually, now that you, uh, now that you mentioned, you know, all the the links to, uh, you know, uh, Chelsea youth players, it was actually, as a side note, a good a good time to see Isaac Price come in uh, for a solid like fifteen minutes today. Although I know the more popular shout was uh, was Dobbin, but you know, you mentioned as your first point, right, like the fans being. Um, you know, like the biggest positive this season. And it was, you know, interesting when you mentioned that, like how it manifested itself from, you know, in whatever it was, December, January, the fans highly protesting uh, Pereira coming in, right? And he did that bizarre interview. Yeah. And next thing you know, we get Lampard. And I know on, on the on the show, uh, we talked about how bizarre it was that the fans had so much of a say. But it's funny because it kind of feels like the fans almost in a sense, like repaid the club for that say, right? Like, I mean, the, the Frank Lampard obviously bought into the, the club. He's really enjoying it. Like it showed, I, I loved seeing like all his celebrations the other day. Um, obviously, you know, the rest of the staff as well. But I think uh, I'm excited to see because, you know, I had a friend ask me the other day, essentially, he said, why did Everton wait for the last month to start, you know, showing out with these huge, huge parades and flares? And, and you know, my question was, well, 
I don't know. I guess you got to ask, you know, every other club in the world, because I don't know any club that, you know, does it consistently day to day basis. But now I want to know, you know, the biggest question for me is, you know, do we see the Everton faithful out in full force, um, you know, the entirety of next season, you know, regardless of how, how, how uh, results hold, I'd be interested and excited to see like how the culture, you know, continues to grow. Um, as we know, it's always, you know, so important and obviously part of the experience for the team and the players as well. I think there's going to be a number of new players coming in next season, isn't there? Either coming through from the the, the under-23s or coming from outside. And there's going to be a number moving on, like Yeri Mina, unfortunately, the best defender we've got by absolute miles. But with his injury record, he's only played 30% of games. We can't, we can't sustain that. We can't pay his wages if he's only going to play a third of the games. So he's probably going to be moved on. So if we get all these new players in, the first couple of games of the season, yeah, you can understand all the fans getting around it, but you, you you can't do that all the time because it loses its momentum then. Do you know what I mean? It's a fantastic thing that's happened and it's changed everything. The fans have got the players over the line there, 100%. But we've seen that before in games, you know, and you know, a, a microcosm of that is if you look at Phil Neville's tackle on Ronaldo all those years ago, we weren't playing well in that game. That one thing turned everything around. They got the, the fans up and that changed the game. And what we've done at the end of this last season has done exactly that. The fans have changed the momentum for the club, which could have been... We, we were on the precipice of... Uh, and This sounds totally dramatic, but I think we were on the precipice of um, oblivion because with the debt that we had going down there, we were the biggest club for decades to go down everyone would have had their cup final against us. It would have been so hard to get out of. Yeah. So the fans have got to be so, so proud of themselves. I'm, I'm entirely with you there, Steve. I mean, the effort from the fans, and we've been saying it on the show for the last several weeks has been the difference, if you ask me. And I think, you know, the media attention, I don't know what they've been on about the last few days following the Palace match with all the talk of points deductions and yada, yada, yada. But the fans deserve all the credit, and I think, you know Frank to to his credit has been you know and said as much in some of his interviews and I think you you reflect on the season as a whole and to, to Alex's kind of question about can we keep this momentum going I don't think you can you can expect the fans to treat every match like it's a cup final where with which is what we've essentially been doing with the greeting the the coach and and all that sort of stuff but we look at the middle of the season when our former manager when we were really in the mix and sort of in free fall. And you see what I think the absence of fan support can do in some ways when I think Ben Foster, you know, made, made the comment about how the fans can turn on the Everton team at home, like on a dime at the first opportunity. I think that change in mentality from the fan base to just back the team to the hilt, you know, as perfectly evidenced at halftime down two nil against palace, very easily could have sucked all the momentum out of the crowd, could have killed any uh, atmosphere. But Deli Ali received a warm reception, warming up at halftime, and the fans just backed the team against all odds and were able to suck the ball into the back of the net three times in the second half. So I think it's just an indication of what role the fans have to play in the ground on match day. It really does make a difference, and all the players have said as much. And I hope that we can say what we want off the pitch and be critical as we want about the direction of the club. But on match day, 
I think it's indisputable that the the fans play a role and they can decide what that role will be on the day and cheering the team and backing them makes a difference. I think that's that's my take there. Totally. Totally. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Steve. Appreciate you coming on. Sean Kahn, my man. Are you there? Can you hear me? Loud and clear. How are we doing? Excellent. I mean, I think uh, what a what a season, right? But I, but also, too, just for us to, I think, find a way in the last month and a half to grind out results. Uh, of course, just as Steve said, the, the fans truly lifting uh, the, the players and just I, I would say the overall organization of safety, I think, has been inspirational in a way just because, I, I mean, you never see it, right? I don't think we've ever seen anything like this, especially when you think of a relegation fight where the home – the home stadium for for these these players becomes toxic. It ended up just becoming this place where we we found a way to get results and and for us to 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 get to safety. I think we're all just over the moon. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, today is a special day not only because of our safety, but because Ryan finally admitted the importance of the Watford result. <laughs> and so, and. and uh, that to me, I think, just signifies just the changing the garden itself. So, um, but no, I, I think uh, in terms of the future, though, very very interesting summer. We almost have like a palace like summer on our hands with getting rid, rid of some of the players out of contract and seeing if we can get uh, player sales for guys like Andre Gomez, Mason Holgate, uh, and even somebody like Delhi. I, I don't know if his market is if there is one, but, it, but if let's just say we can sell him, I think we see a lot of potential for us to, to get some incomings. And I'm excited to see what that well could do uh, being a big New York Red Bulls fan. I think he did actually a pretty good job of looking at younger talent, but not only just from, you know, the U S but uh, South America and, and some of these other markets. So excited to kind of see, you know, the future of this team, uh, but then also too just looking ahead with, with Frank uh, really intrigued to see, him hopefully break this 18 month manager curse we've had of really having somebody to, to stay in that position, uh, understand that he has some deficiencies with tactics. Uh, you know, he's definitely gotten some, some games wrong, but at the same time, I think he's shown uh, some sort of flexibility and some sort of commitment to a system. And I think the system for the most part, uh, of course, there's some exceptions with Jordan Pickford, you know, standing on his head for two, a few of those games. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, where, where we can kind of bring in some some guys to kind of fit uh, a new style, uh, but then also to what he wants to do and, and what the team can do uh, and just trying to maximize some of the talent we have on our team already, like Alex Awobi. Um, you see Decore. Uh, hopefully we can find some sort of resolution with the Aramina. I really think it'd be wise to keep him. That's just my opinion in terms of trying to restructure his contract to a more incentive late in deal uh, on games played. And I think he wants to stay. Uh, but overall, I think it's just for all the crap we've had to go through this season. Uh, I don't think there's a fan base more deserving to kind of will their team to safety and, uh, you know, really excited for the summer, especially to see the Toffees play uh, in America. Yeah, no, all, all uh, really well said. And I think, you know, I'm especially interested in the summer window, you know, as you said, because I think we're going to have – uh, a very large amount of turnover. Um, but, you know, and that that would be essentially kind of close to where, let's say, Crystal Palace was uh, heading into last summer. But then you look no far as like Newcastle, for example, this January. 
and and how much better as a team they got. I mean, obviously they signed uh, they signed some really interesting guys, uh, really solid like first teamers over the window. But I mean, it shows like you only need one window to really turn things around. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm genuinely hopeful that maybe we can at least fight in the top half of the table uh, next season. But then on top of that, like all of that said, you know, with such a high turnover, I'm really, really excited to see what kind of system Frank is going for next season once he, you know, brings in a certain amount of players. And, you know, I think I can speak for everyone when I say we're tired of seeing a 20 to 30 percent possession. Um, and, and I think Awobi at, at wing back. not to say he hasn't been good, but I think I'd much rather see him play in a more attacking role, which is not, uh, you know, seeing him pinned back for, you know, 80 minutes straight during the match. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point, Alex. And I think the one thing I'm also looking forward to next year is I would hope, of course, with COVID and everything like that, getting back to somewhat of a normal schedule. Also know it's a World Cup year, so I don't know how the fixtures kind of sandwich in between that. But we need to find a way uh, to stop this horrific injury record we're having. And I, I would hope that, you know, with the horrible luck we've had, we can have kind of somewhat of a normal year next year for some of our guys that just are in and out of the lineup to have some sort of continuity, because even I think no matter where you kind of lay on the coin of the current formation we've had, it has been just really nice to see us at least play the same guys in the same position for most of the time, you know, after a certain point. And I just think it gives us some sort of familiarity um, and, and it makes the team, I think just better in the long run. So hoping that uh, with kind of a normal schedule, some of the guys like Yuri Mina and others, I would hope can play more games and, and not be as affected by this congested fixtures list we've had. So, Yeah, I think that's really well said. <clears throat> and I think agree with pretty much everything both of you guys said. Um, in terms of just thinking about this year, it was like it felt so often like everything that could possibly go against us was going against us from the injuries to the – bag full of horrible blatantly incorrect refereeing decisions that went against us at key moments in games the number of red cards we received that were ridiculous and for us to overcome all of that and get out the other side it just felt like we had you know we had had cheated death in a lot of ways to to me at least because everything was shaping up like we were going to go down the media was champing at the bit to see a club the size of Everton get relegated. It was everyone's hope outside of Merseyside and obviously all of our us international blues. I think everyone was sort of looking forward to the schadenfreude of, of seeing Everton go down. For us to come through on the other side with a unified fan base who are backing the manager, and hopefully, as Steve said earlier, this has served as a major wake wake-up call for our owner who has pretty much contributed in a large part to putting us in this situation in the first place or at least setting us up in a situation where should a bunch of stuff start going against us it's it's a realistic possibility we'd get relegated um i i was watching the match with an arsenal buddy at least the second half and he asked an interesting question that i'd like to put to both of you and again anyone in the audience who wants to come up and speak feel free to put your hand up and we'll get you in here the question was how long of a leash does Frank Lampard have going into next year? And my answer to him, and if you guys have additional thoughts, we'd love to hear him, is he really has had to go against, I think, his typical instincts as a manager and play a way that he doesn't want to play long term. So I think 
assuming that the organization at a footballing level is is unified and organized in a way where Thelwell is in fact the one making the calls and Mushiri's not talking to Kia and doing under the table deals and who knows what goes on behind closed doors. I think Lampard has has earned himself the opportunity to really sort of mold the squad the way he wants to and it and for some reason maybe it's the fact they're both British maybe it's the fact that I don't know a new face in Thelwell I feel confident that that pair is going to really have a unified vision together and work really well together to actually deliver on whatever the recruiting kind of strategy will be um, and we know we haven't had the, the, the last five seasons of Everton have, I think, been in a lot of ways the search for continuity. We just haven't been able to get beyond this 18-month period before we have to chop and change and uproot everything that we've started to build and kind of start from scratch or go back to basics. And I think this is at least a foundation to start to build something for the long term. And I've said it on many occasions before, but We've been in a five-year project for five years now, and we're still in basically year one, it feels like, in, in some ways, though we've made a lot of progress. I just wanted to uh, put that out there, and if either of you have any thoughts, or anyone in the audience would love to hear them. Well, I think, uh, I think James, to the first point uh, you said a little bit ago, I mean, just think of the, the, the spirit that the, the players have had, right? And I think it's been very challenged, uh, especially in the discord of do these guys have what it takes to, to, to get through this. And I think they proved that they did, especially in, in the latter half. But to the point in regards to Lampard, I think I think it's a little bit dependent on how we start as well as we cannot go on another run of, you know, one win in 14 and things like that. So I do think we'll be relatively patient with him. Uh, I do think that uh, I don't think we'll get to a place where the, the results will be that bad again. But of course, this is Everton, right? We just we never know. Uh, but I think it I think to your point um, and I think when Frank took the job, regardless of what anybody thought about him, it was almost the perfect marriage of Everton needed Frank to succeed. And Frank needs Everton to succeed because he's kind of it at his last wits in regards to getting a big job just with how Darby and Chelsea have gone. So, I, I mean, I think we both need each other at this time. Uh, I'm glad it really worked out the way it did. And, and just the way he comes across, I think he's – I love Carlo, but even, even Frank is just incredibly likable and in what he's been able to do in regards to, I think, just unify the fan base, but also to finally stand up to, you know, PGMO. And even though it hasn't led to anything, like those, those things don't go unnoticed. Uh, but I, I think – I do think he could be the manager to break the cycle. I just – the only thing I worry about is – can we get every, can we do our recruitment in time? Because if we have kind of this business of going into August in the last two weeks, like we've done at times of just trying to get players in and out, we need a full preseason with most of our squad. And if, if we don't have that, I do worry of us getting off to a slow start. So. Yeah. I, I you know, just in regards to, I, I think Lampard's going to get a pretty long leash. Um, you know, for me, this is my opinion, but all I'm looking for next season is marked improvement and just a clear idea. I, I just want to see a clear, cohesive idea on the pitch. I, I want to see that players are at least, you know, for the most part, understanding what their role should be in said system. Um, and obviously all of that hinges upon, you know, how successful, as you just said, Sean, how, how, how successful we can be in the transfer market um but but if we can get those things and that's a very loose set of requirements 
you know, I think I think our main objective should just be, you know, should just be to uh, steady the ship, you know, some continuity with Frank at the helm. Um, you know, the, the fans obviously enjoy having him for now. And the players seem to enjoy working under him as well. So I think uh, I think it's going to be really interesting and really excited. But if we can, you know, if we can just get some sort of enthusiasm from from how we set up next season, I think it's going to do a world of uh, good for us. Yeah, I think that's right, Alex. And I think I'd be curious to know sort of, the you know, we talked about it. Ryan mentioned it on the last episode. You know, the recruiting team has been uh, running dual scenarios for months now in terms of recruitment. What do we do if we go down? What do we do if we stay up now? They're full bore going ahead with we're clearly staying up. And I'm wondering what the strategic objective or what the key performance indicators are for next year. You know, do we consider a top half finish successful? Do we consider, you know, even if we're bottom half, as long as we're hitting marked improvement, like you pointed out, Alex, is that good enough? Because it felt like prior to this season, the objective had always been finish near top half, likely top seven, top eight, and really challenge for Europe and eventually get Europe. Do we now kind of reevaluate that position given the season we've just had? Or do we view this season as an outlier where everything that went against us did and we can course correct and get back on track? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the answer has to be top half. Like, we, there can't be another answer. Um, you know, I, I know we've been through, you know, we've literally been dragged through the mud, as you said, based on, like, everything going against us constantly. Um, you know, just like we haven't even complained about it today yet, James, the the uh, penalty awarded against Iwobi that was identical to Rodri, right? But I guess it's okay because on the side I have uh, City, you know, holding the, the trophy at the moment. So I guess we can let that one slide um, this time. But it, it, has, it has to be a top half finish, uh, no doubt about it. And I think that we can achieve it. I mean, it, you just – you need a couple key pieces um, and you need a coaching staff that can implement the ideas in the correct way. Um, you know, and ideally a lot of those key pieces are in the uh, spine of our team because, uh, Lord, we need it. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think it's a top half finish and, and just getting to a place where the recruitment we're doing is, is not repeating issues of the past of basically getting older players in, not making a fee out that we need to, to change that trend. Right. Of course, it's, it's a captain obvious type of statement, but I think with someone like Bellwell and, and just, this sort of youth movement that I feel like we're, we're about to go on getting our place, getting, getting that, getting our financial situation into a place that the players we have are not just on gigantic wages, uh, getting the, the, the team and, and the spine of the team to be a younger, vibrant, exciting uh, portion of the team. I think will put us in a place where we can try to, to go for top half next year, as well as get to a place where we're not just worried about oh we have six or seven bad contracts and we need our director of football to you know pull a pull a magical trick of some sort right so um yeah i mean it's just i think that's kind of you know has to has to be uh, coincidental with that but then at the same time getting a, getting that staff right in regards to scouting recruitment and things like that and it was really good to see that well i know it was a little bit controversial on on uh, i can't remember the website he posted the, the job postings on, but at least trying to cast a wider net to get multiple more candidates in for positions like that. So it's kind of shows that Kia and some other people aren't making those decisions, which is nice. Yeah. It feels a little bit like the, the jobs for the boys infamous line seems to be 
uh, a thing of the past, at least from any ind- indicators that we've seen so far, which again, I find encouraging. Um, I think personally, you know, this squad was good enough to get top half this year without the horrific list of injuries and everything that went against us. So I think if we're able to improve, make some good signings and actually the recruiting strategy, as you, you rightly point out, Sean is going to be so important to have something where we're not spending like a team that's one or two pieces away from Europe, because I think you got to look for the young hungry guys. We got to start having a more sustainable, <laughs> sustainable recruitment process in place. And, and frankly, we haven't even talked about sort of that. We're talking about a lot about incomings and the turnover of maybe players who are on high wages that we can't really afford anymore. I think this summer we'll see some interesting sales. I think we probably have to sell at least one of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, um, though that may not necessarily be true, but replace them with ideally, you know, someone younger, someone cheaper and who has the same type of ceiling that we can continue to, or, or maybe start creating a process by which we're actually, you know, selling to buy and not just doing whatever it is that we've been doing, which is throwing out, six-figure a week contracts to any player from Europeans, any of Europe's top clubs and hoping that they can come in and save us. And then we're stuck with them for four or five years, just seeing their contracts out. Right. Um, so I think Thelwell will have obviously watched Everton. He comes from a family of Evertonians. He'll have seen the dysfunction that's occurred over the last few years. And hopefully even from the outside, he, he's learned from his position, has the experience and won't repeat those same mistakes. Um, any final thoughts on that? Again, I want to open it up to anyone in the audience who wants to come up, whether you want to speak on anything that's been spoken about already, talk about, you know, the end of the title race, the championship, et cetera. Um, but any final thoughts from either Alex or Sean on anything really, I'm just, we're kind of winging it today. So it was good to see, uh, Jesse March, uh, get leads out of, uh, especially after the comments he made on Friday. Uh, about Everton congratulating them. So happy for him, happy for Leeds. Um, I hope they rescind their letter because of that, but I don't think they will. Um, but uh, no, the Optimist tra- uh, train is signing out. So Choo-choo, baby. Excited. Thanks Excited for joining us, Sean, as summer. always. <clears throat> yeah, my pleasure. See you in Baltimore, man. So sorry about that, everyone. I know we just lost a bunch of people. Uh, I think we crashed, or I, honestly, I may have ended it. On accident, we'll get Andrew back in here. We'll kind of pick up where we left off. Andrew, please come back on. My sincerest apologies for uh, cutting you off. And please re- repose the question for us because I, I had some good thoughts going uh, prior to that. Yeah. Um, so the question was, like, say, you know, preseason you're offered 10th by the end of it, but there's kind of two scenarios. One is we get a new-look midfield capable of playing what I – presume is frank's preferred possession-based style or we have roughly the same core of players maybe you know a new center half if we get rid of mina you you are offered 10th are you happy with that because if it's me and we get a new look midfield i think we should be challenging for europa conference league so i think i think it depends on the nature of the signings and what i mean by that is if we're getting new look players and, you know, let's say we really do, you know, pull off some of the signings that we've been, you know, linked to, let's say, namely like Connor Gallagher, right? Yeah. He's done a really good job at Palace this season. I think, you know, I don't know that you'll find a lot of Everton fans that would, would uh, turn him down or turn down the prospect of him signing. Right. But then, you know, 
I, I, it just depends on if we're signing young players that are that are solid in the PL. We we want them to be on the up and up, gain value as we've talked about from a business perspective to make Everton like more sustainable. Then I think like tenth is good. Um, you know, if if we make you know signings, let's say, or let, let's say we make signings that look or you know financially at least point to a more ready-made player, a player that we're spending to you know, in quotes, win now, Yeah. then, then maybe not so much. Um, but, but I do think all, you know, all of that say, cause that doesn't, you know, that doesn't directly answer your question. I do think, and I'm very hopeful about this, that we will, you know, aim for players in the mold of the first, you know, example, younger players that are, you know, that we feel can perform now, but will continue to grow. Um, and, and I think that uh, 10th place finish would be, would be good, all things considered. And then I also think too, you know, just to add to that, I think it's going to be such high turnover that, you know, sometimes it, it will take time, even if you get a lot of quality players in, you know, to mold them when you don't have even, let's say, a, a solid spine to work from in previous seasons or, or chemistry sure. between, you know, the overhaul of the back line and the midfield, which is, you know, probably what we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, maybe Tarkovsky on a free to replace a sold Mina. If he's only got a year left, I don't see us extending him. Um and then I don't know. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> what we need is a set piece coach. Uh, let's yeah. sign that. Let's get David. I said this on Twitter earlier, but we let's just hire David Ancelotti as a consultant because he had us looking great on set pieces during that season. Yeah, and after today, I saw that. I agree with that. We need that after today. We definitely need some set piece coaching. I, I'll just take a swipe at this question real quick, Andrew. For me, I think Alex made a lot of good points. I'm never going to be happy with 10th i'll take 10th right. i'll take 10th compared to 16th <laughs> right right i think like because carlo had his 10th and then 12th right. right so it's like but that felt just malaise like it wasn't you know the context wasn't the same as this debacle of a season yeah yeah 10th under 10th and 12th under carlo felt like very much a disappointment and underperforming based on some of the performances you know, in individual matches that we put together, it felt like as a collective that squad was capable of of more than that. That said, sure. I, you know, I think we saw very early what I think a good manager Carlo Ancelotti was, and some of the given how poorly the squad is done. So it's a question of are the players good and just mis- have they just been mismanaged, or was Carlo a miracle worker? I guess to get back to your question, and I'll, I'll lean on what the points Alex made. If if it's tenth and there's a clear change in the organization where we're signing players who fit the vision long-term, then fine. It's, it's a stepping stone. It's an improvement year over year, and hopefully it's a building block for better things. If it's, Hey, we're going to, we're going to try to go all out and sign a bunch of 27, 28 year olds to, to galvanize and jumpstart the squad. We get 10th. It's like, well, that only that that's like a one year thing. And then all of a sudden you've got to kind of recalibrate and reevaluate. So sitting here now, season's over 16th. We're looking ahead to the summer and 10th is the offer, I would pass because I think with the right moves, the squad is <laughs> is better than that, personally. Um, yeah. With a few key positions, which I think we all kind of know what those are, the ones that have been neglected for some time, I think the squad can can easily finish, you know, not, not much higher. I think 10th is probably near the floor. But a mid-table, mid-table should be very comfortable for, for a side yeah. like Everton, I think. So whether it's 10th or 12th is somewhat kind of irrelevant to me so that's 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 my kind of rationale for declining is like 
okay, we get 10th, we get 12th, whatever. I'd rather take the gamble and hope that we can build something that's capable of a little bit more. That said, you know, there are a lot of smart clubs that are going to do some really good business this summer. So it's up to, up to us to make sure we're being as efficient as we can in our, from the business standpoint and a recruiting standpoint to keep pace with the sides like look, Brighton finished ninth. They have far yeah. fewer resources. Brentford finished three places above us in their first year in the Premier League and will continue to run their operation the way that they do, which is very well. Palace had finished 12th. They had uh, quite the turnaround. And again, it bears mentioning how old their squad was. I think it was mentioned earlier. They had an ancient squad, and in one year they kind of flipped the script and turned things around. So they can, sh- they did show what they're capable of. Newcastle have all sorts of money. So it's just about being smarter. And hopefully Thelwell is smarter than the guys around him. And he sets up the team that he, that reports to him to be successful. That's my hope. Very long winded yeah. way to answer your question, but I'm going to pass on 10th to, to I'm with you. I, I think aiming for that is what got us Rafa. I think that was that like stability overall. Let's get to Bramley more without like slipping. And I think that kind of set us on this path. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I agree in a lot of ways. Part of me is like maybe Moshiri was so deluded that he thought that this was actually the way to get Everton back to the top, which is if so, is there couldn't be clearer evidence that for against him having any further involvement whatsoever in decision making in terms of recruitment. Sure. Um, so I, I I was a salesman for a very very long time, uh, like cell phone sales, retail, all sure. kinds of stuff. And Mashiri to me was like the ultimate mark. Like you see that guy coming, <laughs> he is taking your recommendations, especially if he thinks you're friendly. Like, so Kia and especially Usmanov, like Usmanov, remember that like bond villain meeting he had on the mega yachts with Abramovich? Like that's how that all happened. And they're like, yeah, Rafa's the best. Are you kidding me? And that's, that's how that'll happen. So I think he's just really impressionable. I agree. I mean, look, the guy's clearly a shrewd businessman. He's made a lot of connections in the world of oligarchs and billionaires throughout his his life and career. You'd think he's pretty savvy when it comes to business, but football's not for everyone. And it's a totally different animal to the sorts of conglomerate operations that Mashiri's more familiar with. And right. I, I think characterizing him as the ultimate mark is perfect honestly because that's what it's it's felt like that for the last five years where you've got a super agent who needs a client on wants to get their client on six figure weekly wages let's see what everton if everton are interested because they're sure to bite at the chance to sign player x y and z there's been so many of them over the years we just have to have a more selfish and and clear mentality about the the players we're going to sign i think it's that simple and there has to be obviously a person and not a ruling by committee about, Oh, well, you know, Kia told Moshiri, we should sign this player. Moshiri brings it to the board. The board all say no. And yet we do it anyway. I mean, you look at the January business, what a complete disaster that was. And the fact that we were able to stay up, despite the fact that really it was Delhi, who was the only, you know, Donnie played a couple of games here or there. The El Ghazi mm-hmm. loan is like the perfect encapsulation of why Farad yes. needs to be miles away. The guy didn't see the pitch for us. More than like what he had one cameo. He subbed on once. Right? I thought, yeah. You're looking in in the position Everton were in in January. You're looking to bring in players who can galvanize the squad and improve us in the short term. We brought in guys who just didn't do that at all, and guys who couldn't even make the team. Donnie is a flyer. I actually think he was. He got the goal today. Good for him. He was injured. Mm-hmm. Not much you can do about that. Deli Ali, the business 
I, I see the logic of it. But then you have Elgazi. Yeah, that's an incredible deal yeah. for us. Like, either way, either we move him on and we pay nothing, or he plays out of his mind and we end up paying a lot, but we got a lot for it. Yeah, what, what are your thoughts on on Delhi going into next season? Do you think he'll play a bigger role? And this this can go to Alex as well. You know, I didn't think he looked great today, but he was impactful off the bench. The trouble is every appearance he makes brings him that much closer to activating the the clauses in his <laughs> deal where we're going to end up forking out a whole lot of cash for him. And if it's only well, going to be... Well, it'd be 10 some, million, right? Like, he hits 20 appearances, it's 10 mil? Something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, the so first, that's, that's not the first that part. bad. Even for a flop, would that be the worst thing in the world, 10 million? No. No, I. you know, 10 mil is... Is not is not crazy for Delhi Ali, but I, but I think the 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 flip side to that is like the wages, right? So we're I mean we're paying him 100k a week, which makes him uh, one of the top earners by far. Sure, you know, and <clears throat> I know James, you asked, you know, how do we see next season shaking out? I mean, I don't know. We I, actually I'm not even sure how many appearances he has. Is it about 10 or maybe slightly less than 10? Um, if you you know all all uh, the appearances off the bench. But um, I don't I don't know how we necessarily justify it. I mean, he, he kind of looks like a passenger, but you see moments today in which and, and, you know, he had no support. But like he clearly has like some of the best technical ability on the team, like he's able to retain the ball well. Yeah. Um, you know, he's obviously a smart footballer on the pitch in general, but he seems like one of those guys, you know, honestly, just like James, in yeah. the sense that he's going to have to be a system player. Right. Like you you're gonna you're only gonna make it work if you kind of build it around him but the question is you know and and i think it was uh part of the athletic article that came out recently maybe in the last couple of days or so talking about how there you know there were grumblings that frank wasn't necessarily um satisfied with him like on the training, training. yeah um <clears throat> so you know my my thought is like can can you really risk like trying to build a team around Delhi, um you know but but the other question is like as an attacking midfielder like second striker you know we know Wobi likes to play there we know that Wobi has had a really big influence although a lot of times it's been you know off to the right or from from that right wing wing back position so can you plan you know the same role around a Wobi at the same time i'm not i'm not sure but i think you know the best situation probably will be to uh to try and get a uh some sort of money for him this summer unless you know frank just feels somewhere deep in his loins that Delhi's gonna you know be able to f- turn it all the way on <laughs> next season concerned. right deep in his loins you said in <laughs> Frankie loins Lampard I was thinking so we get Patterson back like healthy I think he'd be a fantastic wing back I think we bring a Wobi more central and then Delhi becomes like our creative unlock as a 70 minute sub when we just can't break someone down I see. I can see that as his role. I just think it's hard to pay a guy's 100k a week to be your sub off the bench. Like he should be one of your top performers. I think. Sure. If he if that wasn't the situation, and look, Deli Ali's the. We knew the risk when we signed him. He's been underperforming for some time now. The questions have been raised about his work ethic off the pitch, whether how how focused and committed he is to life as a professional footballer in general. Certainly showed a level of commitment against Palace that I think had been absent for a while mm-hmm. i don't know i obviously the ceiling for him is crazy high the type of player you can definitely build a side around but i haven't seen anything from him in an everton shirt to, to think that he could be that so andrew i think you're right in saying that at least 
looking forward, you kind of plan for him to be maybe that influencer off the bench or at least added depth in areas where we might need it. But that's that's just a tough hit to take, especially if we can't offload guys like Andre, you know, the, the big wage guys oh who already sort of occupied that role, right? Um, where can we send Andre to? Italy? Like, he's anywhere enough for please. it. Take him. It's, Portuguese yeah, I mean, John Wick? I think he could, he could fit Italy, I mean, to be honest, but who knows? We'll definitely be uh, seeking out suitors for him. Um, Andrew, any yeah, final thoughts? A... Sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. Continue. No, go ahead. Please continue. I was just thinking, like, the thing with Andre, like, beyond his lack of, like, mobility and stuff, is he's almost as bad of a nailed-on yellow as Holgate is Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, very true. And I think, you know, the other problem, too, is Andre is, like, easily a possession-based player, right? Like, he, he's, yeah. not, he's not the guy that you want shuffling around when you've got 30% possession. And, like, that's where we're at. And, you know, that's the other question, too, in, in terms of the system we go to next season or we attempt to go to, right? Like, do we do we think it's realistic to flip the switch, <clears throat> even if we get a sizable amount of signings and say, okay, we're a possession-based team again? You know, I, I really don't know. Yeah. That's, that's something kind of on my mind, uh, and I'll be interested to see what kind of players we bring in. You, you would think we're, we'll build towards that, at mm-hmm. least. Uh, last thought before I bounce was um, Decore. Given that he is kind of apt to lose the ball as much as he wins it back and his age and seemingly cursed foot injury that keeps kind of popping up every once in a while, do we move him on if we get like a Connor Gallagher? Because they kind of seem to fit the same profile except for age. I'd have to vote no on that one. I think, uh, you know, I think in the midfield specifically, I mean, we, we could be looking at, um, you know, obviously Bamin who – hasn't really played a role, but I would assume he, you know, he very well may not. Although I know he's been playing a lot in uh, what Moscow, right? Yeah. Um, but we would, you know, we would be looking, let's say, <clears throat> maybe uh, getting rid of uh, Delph, right? Uh, yeah. Gomez in the middle of the pitch. Um, you know, Tom Davies, like, I'm not saying we're getting rid of him, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how Tom Davies sits in the mix. It seems like Alon, you know, very well may be staying. I know rumors, you know, popped up because he's been like on the bench and not featuring. And then, you know, Gomez is selected ahead of him. But then we find out it's, you know, he probably just needs surgery on his hernia. Um, I think that Ducore is, you know, very useful. Uh, like, mm-hmm. I do say confidently that he is, you know, probably better than a squad player. Maybe not, depending on the system, good enough to be a starting 11 player for trying to, you know, consistently finish in the top half. Depending on the system, like I said. But I think we have bigger holes to fill. Um, and we're going to sure. be doing a lot of business. So I think in terms of just priority... Like timing, I would I would vote no heavily on that one. Okay, but it was it was interesting to see him pulled after 30 minutes today. I will say that. Yeah, like it just seems to kind of pick either bad passes or just the inability to execute on the pass that he sees. I'll go out on a limb here, and this may ruffle some feathers. I I have a very hard time seeing us getting Connor Gallagher in the door. I would love to see it. Amazing player. I'd be shocked if he's not involved with Chelsea in some way next year. I think after the season he's put forth, you know, they typically, they may, they may sell him, but if they do, it'll be for a massive fee to somebody. And I'd, I don't see us being willing to pay it. Um, now, if we do get another midfielder with a similar profile to Decore, I still think Decore can play a part. Um, he, he does, you know, he gives the ball away some, but I'm, I'm looking at FB ref right now, just looking at some of our, metrics as we like to do on the american toffee podcast um and he's actually really he's like fourth or fifth in pass percentage 
fourth if you really? exclude if you exclude El Ghazi, Moise Keen, and Cenk Tosin, who barely, you know, obviously barely right. featured. Man, that does it does not feel like it. It That's doesn't. Crazy. It doesn't. I agree. Um, and for a player who's played as much as he does, he's actually behind Yeri Mina. Again, any the only player with the guys above him are Delph, Van de Beek, and Mina, who have you know been in and out of the side. And yeah. then it's Decore followed by Alon. So wow, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and I think you know, does it show like I mean, is there a stat for I don't know what you call it, like interception or? <laughs> Like dispossessed, like he doesn't get tackled and like lose it that way. It just seems like I don't know, he just leaves it out there for somebody. Yeah, there there are some. I don't want to you know take the time. We'll definitely you know yeah, one thing no, that we can look forward to is uh, the squad assessment from the ATP, which we'll do, and we'll kind of get into players' individual numbers. His receiving percentage, you know, passes received, is middle of the road for the squad. He's like, but still like eighty five percent. Any other okay. player, like I, I'll put it this way. I think Decore will probably be starting on opening day next year in some form or another, barring an influx of midfielders that I'm personally not expecting. But I do expect to see a couple guys come in that will really, really change things up. Gabamin, I know his, his name was brought up. He's just been such a weird one, man. He's he's done really well in Russia, but I don't think he really sees his long-term future at Everton, and I don't think we see him featuring too much. Yeah. So I expect he'll probably be sold. Unfortunately, just a signing that never really worked out. Certainly a capable player, but um, yeah. yeah. Right. Thanks for the time, guys. No, really appreciate you coming on, man. Very much appreciate it. Yep. yep, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You know, we were talking about summer signings earlier, James, right? And yeah. uh, fullback, fullback has been, um, you know, the subject of transfer signings for I don't know how many years now. We obviously signed, we, we let Lucas Dean go three days before Rafa Benitez, which was absolute garbage, right? Minkalinko came in. We weren't really sure how he was going to do. And yet I feel like in the last month or two, Minkalinko has really, really stepped it up, especially defensively. Um, I've been really impressed with him. I feel like, you know, the gap between, let's say, Lucas Dean and functionally between Lucas Dean and Minkalinko is, I'd say, smaller than I anticipated. Obviously nowhere near, you know, the same in terms of attacking output, right? Um but I've been really impressed with like Mikalinko in the last couple months, and I think he's going to be a, a staple on the left hand side for next season. I'm with you. I was understandably shocked and concerned when we left, let one of our best players leave in the January window. Was forced out, and we all know the dysfunction of, as you said, Alex, letting him go at the behest of the Red Saboteur, only to then sack him a few days later. Preposterous move all around. I think Mikolenko came in, and we talked about him on the show, a smart, defensive-oriented player who would still very young and taking time to adapt, and I think we saw exactly that unfold. He took a few games to settle in, and then you throw in all the stuff in the background and what's going on in his home country. He leaves, and immediately a, war, a freaking war broke out, man, and he was in the midst of a much less serious war in terms of Everton's relegation battle. And I think he really, in many matches, stood up to be counted and did a lot to cement himself as the starting left back. I still am concerned about his ability to get forward, especially if that's the presumed system. You know, Frank does like to let his fullbacks get forward a little bit traditionally, but he's still young. I think he's still malleable. I think he can get there. So I'm looking forward to seeing more from Mikolenko getting better. And I was really pleased with how he settled in in the second half of the season. Yeah, and, and just before we get, uh, I guess, uh, Mark up here, uh, 
you know, we, we don't even have to discuss very far, but I'm really interested to see how that right back position shapes up. Uh, it's clear, you know, we shouldn't you know, like count on Seamus to be a starter next season. We've got Patterson out with a long term, but I think he'll be back. He should be back over the summer, right? Um, but the question really is going to be, you know, is Patterson ready to start the PL week in, week out? And I think the answer is probably going to be no. So, uh, you know, right back still once again could in theory be an interesting uh an interesting position for us throughout the summer. Yeah, that's a position where I wouldn't be opposed to seeing us go with someone a little bit, you know, that older profile of player who's ready to come in and sort of serve as a stopgap between, you know, giving Patterson a little more time so he doesn't immediately get thrown in the deep end. I think Seamus, you know, the best man Frank Lampard's ever known is uh, going to be just another year older next season. We can't count on him. He has to be kind of a bit part player and we have to, really start phasing him out for the good of his Everton legacy, for the good of the club, and all of those sorts of things. Let's get Mark up here. I'd love to hear what he has to say. Hey there, Mark. Can you hear us? Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. How you doing? I'm doing much better after Thursday. Amen. Um, thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, so this season, as you know, has been difficult. Um, kind of a tale of two halves between – a manager that the fans didn't want, and then a manager that the fans have at least were mixed on upon probably hiring, but have now gotten completely behind. So in terms of priorities for next season, what do you think that he should be focusing on? Because there may be some pieces in the midfield. Uh, hopefully we can figure out injuries, but the midfield to me doesn't seem to be as big as a problem as, say, like the back line. Uh, we didn't really get someone to replace Sheamus. Letting go of Luca Dean right before firing Rafa was asinine. Um, and then Keen has had a number of uh, muck-ups uh, during games this season. So it seems to me like that back line is the biggest priority. But I just kind of want to get some input from you guys. What do you think is the biggest priority for Lampard heading into next year? You want to take a stab at that, Alex? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, I agree. I think the back line is going to be, you know, the it should be the biggest priority. I mean, <clears throat> we talk about, you know, the individuals on, you know, episodes and their strengths and weaknesses pretty often. Right. I mean, you know, it, it seems like Keen is constantly mistake prone and yet, you know, he still performs better than let's say Holgate on average. Right. Um, we know Mina is our best center back, but then, you know, as, as Sean Khan mentioned earlier, you know, he's available for half the games and maybe we want to switch his contract to more incentive based, um, appearance instead of based. I, th I think that we have, you know, we could realistically see like two center backs and a right back come in. Um, and I don't think anyone would really bat an eye and, and think that that's, uh, you know, ridiculous to say, or the need is ridiculous in general. Um, you know, I think, I think it all depends on the profile of the players, right? I mean, you know, ideally we sign some players that can play out of the back. I got to agree with James uh, from a couple of minutes ago saying, you know, it, we might need to just go ahead and sign like a prime, a prime age right back uh, because, you know, our, our options there are looking thin. I, I really don't want to see uh, Holgate and Godfrey uh, plugging in at right back or full back in general any more next season than we have, um, you know, the last couple seasons. Uh, what about you, James? How are you feeling? You think, uh, think the back line is going to be the most chopped and changed this summer? I do think reinforcements along the back line are needed especially when you look at you know even a player like Ben Godfrey who following you know Carlos first full season in charge everyone was singing his praises thinking he's the next big thing but he's actually at least early on in the season was 
culpable for a lot of mistakes that led to goals. And I think we've got a lot of that along our existing back line. So I think there's a need to reinforce there to have additional depth, probably move a couple guys out, bring a couple guys in right back is a concern for me. And I, that said, I do think there, you look at our inability to create in the final third. And I think you'd be remiss not to talk about there. I think there does need to be some additional offensive firepower brought in to just help us score goals. And yeah, Dominic Calvert-Lewin not being fit for most of the season, probably a big, big part of that. But I'd be looking at a true right winger. You know, we've got a boatload of guys who probably perform better on the left, Richarlison, Damari Gray, Anthony Gordon, yada, yada. And those guys can fill in on the right-hand side, but, and, and, you know, Alex Iwobi can play in theory out there too, but we really, I'd love to see a true left-footed right winger come in, someone who's able to, put goals in the back of the net because so many times this season, you know, we ship goals, but we also struggle watching us try to create in the final third when it wasn't on the break was painful. And that's what happens when you offload. We obviously know what happened to our previous number 10, you know, allegedly. And then we had the departure of Thomas Rodriguez and Luca Dean, which all, which ultimately accounted for like 75% of our XGA or excuse me, XG um, and like assists last season, our creative output overall. So we, we definitely need to replace some of that because we can't just continue to go and hope that you know, Gray will continue to develop. I hope maybe if there's suitors for Gray, do you sell Gray? I know I've seen that conversation floating around a little bit after one season. You bring him in on such a low fee, and if there's a market for him for, say, $10 million, that, in my view, would probably be good business if you could then turn that around and get someone maybe even younger or someone who's more suited to the right-hand side. So. I'd agree, Mark, that and Alex, that the defense needs some revision, but the right wing is another area that's super important to me as well. So, you know, I've I've heard murmurs too, right? Like, you know, could could Pickford be leaving this summer? Um, you know, it, it, I, we've talked about a lot on the show, right? We've talked about how, you know, maybe the fee that that we would command for him wouldn't align with, uh, you know, what buying clubs would value him at, <clears throat> and obviously, I think he would only want to leave for, you know, a club doing obviously better than Everton, although 16th place doesn't make it uh, too hard there, but it'll be interesting to see that too. I mean, I'm hoping we, you know, keep some of the older, more experienced guys like Begovic. It was good to see him in goal, uh, him in goal today. Hopefully he'll stay back up because we've had a revolving door on, on uh, backup goalkeepers uh, in the last, in the, in the recent years as well. Um, But, you know, it's, it's looking, you know, it's looking very likely that we could lose Richarlison this summer. I don't think anyone would, you know, <clears throat> I don't think anyone would be too surprised at that. You know, I think he's a lot more likely to go than Calvert-Lewin is after Calvert-Lewin was injured most of the season um, as well. So th- there are so many missing, you know, there, there are so many question marks, I think, and a huge part of it's just going to depend on who we can shift out as well. Um, you know, you, you can't build, you know, you can't build your team around Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin if you don't know that they're going to be here next season either. Um, and, you know, I, I find it, you know, kind of odd that Rishi was, I think he was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he was subbed out like a couple of minutes left on against Crystal Palace, right? And, you know, he's, uh, we saw, <clears throat> I'm a little off topic, but we saw Mbappe is uh, staying at PSG and Rishi's been linked with Carlo at Madrid. So you never know. Yeah, I mean, I think the the rumor that's been floating around is that he basically played injured against Palace, um, and then at the, you know the, the sub that was made at the time made sense in the context of the game. We'd taken the lead and looking to shore up shop. What what struck me was the scenes. If you haven't watched already, the like in the tunnel uh, video put out by the club, 
there's the scene of him walking around holding, I'm assuming it must be his niece or something, and he's you know, walking around Goodison Park, the pitch, after most of the fans have left, and they're singing his name, and it felt it felt not so much like a celebration, but it felt a little bit like a goodbye, if I'm being honest. You know, he, and, and no one, I'll, I'll never fault Richarlison. I said it on the show so many times. He's in mo- on the most recent episode. He's easily the most likable guy in the team, in my opinion. Be unfortunate if you were to leave, but if he leaves in the right circumstances, we get a good fee for him that allows us to reinvest in multiple other positions. Then that's kind of the business of football. And you just have to, as much as we want to be sentimental, that's the way things go sometimes. So if he goes for, 50 60 whatever it may be you know make sure people are meeting our asking price and then we can look to distribute that over other positions make us better as a collective then that's that's okay with me though it would break my heart to see him leave because he's just such a lovable player that and you know we we have i mean we've kind of struggled to fit him and dominic calvert lewin into, into the same team right i mean it, it has never felt and I, I know we talked about it a lot during carlos season when they were both really playing, well, A, both playing at the same time and like this season, but B, um, playing in more of that four four two system. But, you know, it, it did feel like at that point in time that maybe it wasn't such a bad thing. Um, and I think we've all known, too, Richie is, I mean, he's, he's too good to be spending his <clears throat> his prime years at a 16th place Everton, right? Um, you know, he's, he's looking at trying to play Champions League football. You know, he's been consistently starting for Brazil for the last year or two. So, um, you know, I think... He deserves it, and you know the, the only thing I have to say, wrapping up about Richarlison, is that I hope he chooses the, the right club, um, and I hope he has a you know a really good career moving on. Uh, sometimes we've seen historically some Everton players move on to bigger and better things for them to not quite work out in the same way. So, Mark, any final thoughts? Any other questions before I think we're gonna get uh, we'll get Paul up here next. Uh, no, I think you guys have covered everything fairly well. I think that in terms of getting wing support, particularly on the right-hand side, um, those are things for Frank to look into, especially if, you know, Richie leaves, um, which would be devastating but understandable. Um, as you said, he's way too good to be languishing at a 16th place Everton in a relegation fight, as much as it pains me to say it. Um, but um, it's going to be an interesting season. Hopefully, I think the expectation for the fans should be that the team should be in, like, 10th. Um, anything greater than that, I think, is being a little overly ambitious for just the state of the club as it is right now. Uh, so we'll see what happens next year. Fair enough, Mark. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you uh, contributing to the show and giving your thoughts. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend, man. Same to you, man. Up the toffees. Up the toffees, brother. Can you hear us, Paul? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. How you doing? Um, doing a lot better uh, this time of uh, day, this time of year than I was a couple weeks ago, as I'm sure everyone else here has been. But just wanted to get your guys' take. I know we've been talking about the future and looking forward to that. But looking back on this torrid season, uh, just wanted to hear, do you guys have a player of the season, a moment of the season outside of the Crystal Palace game? Anything like that? Great question. Great question. James, you got to go first on that one. All right. All right. So if we're doing, <laughs> we're doing moment of the season, moment of the season for me, hands down, besides the obvious palace match, which has been excluded, has to be a Wobie's winner against Newcastle because that was when we were true. Like you couldn't get more last gasp than that between the fan zip ties, all of the drama, the, double digit minutes of stoppage time 
to go a man down and to score in the face of that, to pick up three points, it was like a lifeline had been extended to us. And who knows where we'd be without that result. And a player who, this was sort of in the middle, I guess, of Alex Sawobi's resurgence under Frank Lampard. But this is what really, I think, pushed him on to the heights we would see the remainder of the campaign and what a key player he proved to be for Lampard's side and for Everton. So for me, it's the Newcastle winner for Awobi. In terms of player of the season, that one is a really, really tough question. I think if I'm thinking about it from my own personal standpoint, I'm leaning towards either the sentimentality of someone like Seamus Coleman, just because though he hasn't by no means been our best player, the fact that we know that he should have been replaced years ago and he still fought to basically start 30 matches for us at age 34 pretty ridiculous or Richarlison I know that many will probably say Anthony Gordon or Jordan Pickford based on output I can't in good faith go with either of them but I understand why one might so those are my candidates over to you Alex yeah no those are all good shouts I gotta I gotta say if all the Newcastle goal is pretty prime um, but I'll say for excitement factor and for a really important three points, I'll say the, the gray screamer against Arsenal to win uh, the reverse fixture. Obviously, the, you know, the points were extremely important for us. Um, we kind of went against the grain on on that resurgence. But, uh, you know, player of the season, I'm, I'm not calling him player of the season, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, Townsend because... Up until I don't even know when I know uh, at least the turn of the year, you know, he was top scorer. He may actually still be, you know, like second to top scorer. So his contribution uh, physically on the stat sheet was really important for us in the first half of the season, which, as we know, kind of buoyed our our chances for survival towards the end. Um, But for for an actual player of the season, uh, I got to go with I got to go with Pickford, I think, you know, he literally was monumentous in the last couple months he was extremely vocal it felt like you know he was trying to drag us along the line just as you know Richarlison was throughout the season uh and I felt like he really proved what a useful number one he can be obviously not that not that you know all Everton fans needed to you know needed to see it but a lot of the outside world um you know still doesn't for whatever reason get the recognition he deserves um, so I got to go with uh, I got to go with uh, Pickford on that one. What about you, Paul? Do you have a, a moment besides either one of the two that we named, or a player besides the two that we named that you'd go with? Those were my exact ones. But <laughs> if I had to choose something else, uh, Pickford's saves uh, versus Chelsea, where he had the back to back. Those, I mean, those kept us up. <laughs> uh, yeah, good show. Monumental. And when we needed a hero most, we can rely on a couple people, Iwobi, Pickford, and Richarlison. Uh, yeah, terrible season overall. Um, but if we have to look back on the last 10 games, um, they really dug it out. They really clawed their way to the finish. And when all else was up against them, the refs, the teams that we were playing, because we were not playing any slouches, we were playing some of the best of the best. Um, yeah, those three really stick out to me and really showed uh, what, it's, what it's like to be a toffee and put everything out there, even if you're not the best, <laughs> uh, but still fight to the end. Great stuff, Paul. Appreciate you coming up and uh, posing the question there. Finishing off where we started, 
I've got a lot a lot to rattle through here. Sorry, just over all the last comments. I think um, when we're talking about Richarlison going, if he does go, for me, I think the first choice to go is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I think that's already happening. And so if he does go, then we are in a position where we don't need to sell. And so we're going to get big money for Richarlison if he does go because we can just name our price. But I, I personally don't think he will go. Um, my original point I was going to make, I had a, a, a question for you guys mostly, but also a couple of points to make, was um, I live just outside Glasgow and a lot of my friends and neighbours are Glasgow Rangers supporters and they absolutely love Nathan Patterson and they say how the guy's going to be an absolute world beater. He's a, he's a Gary Stevens Mark II who obviously went the other way uh, at Glasgow Rangers. And I think he'll be a starter next year. Obviously, depending on the formation that Frank Lampard plays, but if he plays 3-4-3 or 5-2-3, uh, I think he's going to be a starter. I, I think the guy's going to be absolutely fantastic for us. Um, the point about Pickford, where would he go? I, I, I can't see where Pickford would go. Um, I can't see any of the top sides wanting or needing him because they've all got their own keepers. Um, and I can't see him leaving us for a team that's, or being afforded by a team that's going to be a couple of places ab above us. And just because we finished where we are this year doesn't mean that's where we're going to be next season. We are, or should be, on the front foot. Um, you mentioned about the, all the different saves he's made. I think we've overlooked the fact that the, one of the biggest saves he'll ever make is the save when Mateta was through the other night and he saved at 2-1. Because if that had gone to 3-1, we wouldn't have come back. So that was an absolutely massive save, unbelievably big save. And then my final point, which is a question really, is Kevin Thelwell as a um, director of football has got links to America. And have you guys got any thoughts on who he could potentially bring from America? Any links he's got that he could utilise or um, any bridges we could build with America through him? So we, we you know, we... When he joined, <clears throat> we did a little bit of a deep dive on his on his uh, professional past, specifically from uh, you know the New York Red Bulls. I can't say, you know, I personally know well enough his links, but I will say, you know, one of the players I think that played in his Red Bull side in uh, in Tyler Adams. You know, it's being reported that uh, you know it's probably his last season. You know, winning the DFB Pokal with uh, Leipzig was probably his last appearance for the club. He wants to be, you know, a starter where he goes day in, day out. I think that that's a player. Um, I think Tyler Adams could fit pretty well in this Everton team. I think he has some attributes that would be, you know, very, um, you know, would be very helpful for us in the midfield. Um, but that's that's really like the only swing I could give at that at that question. I'm, I'm interested. And obviously, maybe I'm a, a bit partial because he's American. And I think all of us uh, would like to see another American on, on Everton. Um, any thoughts on that, James? So on Thelwell, I think we'll definitely get into potential targets on the pod in the coming weeks. I like the Tyler Adams shout. I don't know. I don't think he'll be cheap, and I don't know if we could be persuaded to come to Everton given our most recent season. You think he might be looking for a step up in theory. Um, in terms of MLS candidates, I'd be surprised if we're looking in that market. What I hope we're looking is a little bit south of the border in South America for 
some of those players, you look at the the players that have come to the Premier League directly from the continent in recent times, and I think Everton have been a little hesitant to to tread in those waters and have looked for more proven articles either already within Europe or within even England. So I hope that we start to think outside the box a little bit and look at those talents in those areas that are just full of full of talent and aren't maybe being scouted in the same way that they have been. But in terms of his U.S. connections in general outside of the scouting realm, I do think I've been very encouraged by the work the Fans Forum has done, the work the club has done to build those links to America, including, of course, the trip to Baltimore next month, which we will be at looking very much forward to getting together with some toffees um, and celebrating. So it's over the last few years, it's been amazing to see the links continue to build, you know, the associations um, with the various clubs in terms of cooperating on player development and developing those relationships. And I hope that that continues well into the future because the sports just, the sport just continues to grow here and whether or not we're signing anyone this summer, I think we need to set up a structure where we're, getting players maybe even younger in the youth ranks. Like we've seen so many young Americans go overseas to develop in the youth systems in Europe. I hope we can start to see more of that from Everton as well, because we're looking at a total revamp of, you know, our youth Academy as well in terms of leadership. So that's what I hope to see from Thelwell in terms of the America connections, maybe not directly signing any American players, but looking ahead to the future and continuing to build links so that when players pop up, we're right there to capitalize on it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's my sort of hope as well. It's not not so much like there's going to be American players coming through, um, but it's those links to the American clubs where you've got those, like you say, the South American players already there who aren't necessarily on the radar of, of the bigger clubs over here. Um, and I, I just hope we, we utilise that correctly because I think there's an, I don't know what it is, but I just think there's a natural feel of a good fit between Thelwell and um, Frank Lampard. It just seems like they're going to work together. Um, that's just a gut reaction. It's not based on any science or fact. Do you know what I mean? But it, it, it seems when you when you go back to Cumin and the school teacher in the in years gone by, that didn't seem right. This does, and so I'm just hoping we get, we have the right recruitment policies now. Yeah, you know that's actually a really good point too because uh, I can't remember who mentioned it earlier, but you know they talked about how much you know Lampard for his career needs Everton you know just like Everton needs Lampard and you would think he would be uh he would be highly incentivized to work well with with Thelwell um so really I think the the main question is obviously going to be is Moshiri going to let him do what he needs to do but only time will tell right well he has to and for me you learn by experience and as i said at the outset of this uh, uh pod for me, it's like people learn by experience, and Mashiri's got to learn by this experience that when everyone's come together and the the right people at, at at each part of the club have done their part, we've been successful. And when he starts meddling, we're not successful. So he's he's got to learn by this. Completely with you, uh, you know, and something that's been talked about a little bit, at least you know, on our Discord and I've seen on Twitter. Earlier this season, we had the 27 years campaign and that all sort of, I think, was put to the side, given the need for the fans to back the team and get us over the line and avoid relegation. But I've I've seen many people tweet, you know, the worst thing that could come out of Everton surviving on Thursday against Palace would be for the board to pat themselves on the back for a job well done and think that 
they can get off scot-free for the position that they put us in in the first place. So I do think there still needs to be some sort of fan voice. You know, we have a unified fan base now for the most part. I think there needs to be a continued push on the board to enact the changes that they've said they're going to make and continue to improve. I think that's so vitally important. It doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, protests and graffitiing outside the ground, whatever. I think that's maybe a bit out of line, but there needs to be, we can't let the board become complacent because we got by, escaped by the skin of our teeth. Um, there, there is still need for, I think, dramatic change at Everton. And I think the pieces are in place to, to realize that, but complacency and the board saying, yeah, you know, we'll look at what you know Frank saved us and we're good. We can just continue with this model and get us to Bramley more and what have you. I don't, I don't think that's good enough. I do think there are, Needs to be new executive leadership in a lot of positions and a better structure put in place that's fitting of a club whose motto is nothing but the best is good enough. And I hope to see that continue as well. I think there's a, there's also a point of just letting people get on with their jobs. And as I alluded to before, that it was the chief executive of Everton was not able to get on with his job because of meddling from finance and meddling from the chairman. And that, that can't be the right thing moving forward. It just can't. Well said, Steve. And I feel like that's a pretty fitting place to to end this on, Alex. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? No, just want to say, uh, obviously, appreciate everyone, you know, tuning in, especially everyone that, uh, you know, came up to speak, posed some good questions, good discussion points. Um, I think I can speak for everyone when I say I'm really glad the season is over. I'm looking forward to doing our our deep dive squad assessment episode. And, uh, you know, up the toffees. Amen to that. Thanks, everyone, very much for listening, tuning in. Whether you're listening now or you're listening to the pod, as I said, this will be released as a pod. Appreciate the support. If you want to give the American Toffee Podcast account a follow, that would help us out a bunch. Really appreciate it. And find the podcast on wherever you find your podcast. Leave us a rating and review. Podcast platform of choice if you want to find all our social media stuff. Link tr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. It is in our bio. Hope you enjoyed Maybe not the performance today, but the feeling of safety. its I've been relishing in it for several days now. It's great. Glad the season's done. And onward and upward, up the toffees. Talk to you all soon.